welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're tuning into an episode of the Redefining Society Podcast, hosted by Marco Cipelli. Let's face it, the future is now. We live in a hybrid analog digital society, and we must stop ignoring it or pretending that technology is not affecting us. The line between the physical and virtual worlds has become a figment of our imagination. On it, we are continually performing a dangerous balancing act juggling convenience, privacy, freedom, security, technology, society, culture, and even the future of humanity. There is no better place than here, and no better time than now, to muse on our relationship with technology and how to redefine what society means in this new age. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. Well, hello, everybody. This is Redefining Society podcast, one of the three, for now, uh, recurring series that I am doing so that uh, I can bring people on the show that are too busy to have their own podcast. So I kind of lock them in this way. This one has been the first, actually, that we started with my friend uh, Bruce Wiley, Dr. Bruce uh, welcome back to the show. We'll see what we're going to talk about today, but we usually improvise at this bar, which today, for people watching, you're not in. We're, you're, you're drinking your water at home. Yes, or, I, I have Or left. in an hotel room. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 have left the, I have left the virtual bar. That does not mean that I won't return to the virtual bar, but, uh, but yes, I've left the bar. Um, I'm actually in, in Oregon right now. Uh, so the Pacific Northwest. Very nice. Very nice. And uh, at this point, I'm hoping people have been listening to other shows. So I, I will just do the presentation myself by reading from your website. Bruce Wiley, writer, journalist, professor, AI, computational and digital health expert and entrepreneur, but not always in that order. So uh well, actually, now we can disclose that we got to meet in person for the first time uh, a couple of weeks ago. We hang out in Malibu. That was very nice uh, to talk about things that for once it was not recorded. So, you know, a lot of stuff that we're not going to go on the record. <laughs> but uh, that was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I, I'm always excited because we never script. We never know what we're going to talk about. And because they're traveling... You want to tell us why, and uh, and I think it's related to one of your many interests. Yeah, Marco. I mean, I think we met up mainly to so that I could prove that I'm not an AI projection. 
Um, so hopefully I did prove that, or maybe, maybe you were more convinced that I was an AI projection because, uh, because I do say uh, erroneous things every now and then. But um, so, uh, yeah, so right now I'm actually uh, back in the West Coast um, and I just gave, gave a talk at, the, um, at a meeting that's sponsored by the Linus Polling Institute uh, here at the uh, Oregon State University. And they have a personalized health meeting where we talk about the idea of personalized health. Uh, so personalized health is where rather than the opposite would be, you know, very gross general health recommendations for everyone. You know, everyone should do X, Y, and Z. And there are things that everyone should do. So like, for instance, everyone should try to get good, a good night's sleep. Um, smoking is, 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 has negative health consequences for everyone. Those things are very general health recommendations. But we do know that in many cases, <coughs> health is, can be very personal. You know, you, you, you see all the time, uh, there is a person who has terrible health, health habits, you know, does, does all these different types of things, but then seemingly never has health problems, lives forever. And of course, there are people who are, are the opposite. So we do know that health differs <coughs> significantly. So a lot of the discussions this meeting was about, you know, how do you personalize health? And my talk was about uh, how AI, artificial intelligence, can help with personalized health, uh, personalized nutrition, and those things like that. Um, so if we think about it, people differ in many different ways. And, and it's actually more important how people differ in the non-superficial ways. So when you look at, oh, you say, oh, people are different. And the first thing you think, oh, yeah, people are different in appearance and things like that. But that's actually some of the least important things. Uh, people can differ quite significantly under the skin in terms of their metabolism and their physiology, their microbiome, and all those things. And then people can also differ significantly in the types of behaviors they have. And then they can differ quite significantly in terms of their social structure, like who's influencing them. Um, and then they can differ in their environments. So there's all these, their economic situations and those things like that. So when you want to really personalize health or personalize nutrition, You've got to take into account all these different factors and it can get really, really complex. So if you think about it, and I'll think about uh, the people that you know. Uh, so we all have like people that you know very well, might be a significant other or might be uh, close friends. And even those people, like how well do you actually know them? And then the further you get out, you know, in terms of your layers of friends and acquaintances, you may know a lot less because it takes a lot of time to really figure someone out, right? Um, so it's tough to for an individual person to kind of know all these things. I mean, I, I presume with your friends, you don't ask them about their microbiome. You don't say, oh, hey, uh, how's that fecal material doing? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of things that you don't know about people. So that'd, yeah, be, that'd be awkward. But okay. yeah, that would be, be awkward. Um, you know, you, that's not the first thing you want to open when you when you talk to someone and say, hey, hi, nice to meet you. Let's talk about your colon. Um, so. Uh, but so there's all this data that you actually have to not only first you have to figure you have to get the data, but then you have to actually combine it and, and, and mesh it. That's tough to do for like a human being, like you, you, no matter how much experience or or um, expertise you have or even time you have, it's tough to do that. 
that means perfect situation or ideal situation for AI and for computer techniques to really take all these things and kind of meld them together and figure out some insights. Uh, so that's why stuff like personalized nutrition, personalized health, it's going to be real tough to do without help with computers. So this is where tech can play a major big role. Um, so I talked about a lot of those things where it's really a, an emerging field, a growing field. Well, it's, again, I, I could go in a lot of different direction because as I have this bad habit that when people talk, I, you know, it's not a bad habit. I take notes with a pen, which is kind of cool in the AI uh, age. Uh, but I'm like, okay, I'm going to go there because you said something and then you say something else. I'm like, wait a minute, that's more interesting. So uh, here, here's where I'm going. Um, so definitely a social demographic uh, factors. We know that that's a variable that is always there and then we don't take into consideration, right? Like yeah. even in looking at vaccination rates or even looking at the, the way that the people interact with their doctor, then it makes me think like, how well do you describe your problem to the doctor so they can actually understand? Because again, it, that doctor is not inside your body. And this is something I do a lot like with my parents and, and you know my wife too. Is like, were you very specific when you went to the doctor to explain what was the problem? Uh, because it seems to me it's just making a general guess. You know, yeah. like you're your first doctor. You're the one that knows yourself till a certain point, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the diet. It made me think about all this fade of diet. I'm from Italy, so I'm a fan of the Mediterranean diet. I know it comes always first, right? <laughs> but but when people try to lose weight, there's been like paleo diet and this diet and another diet. And it's like... It looks like this is the one that is going to work for everybody, no matter what. But again, not true. Not no, true at all. Not true. You see all these, yeah, you see these headlines saying this is the diet or this is the top five diets or something. So for who? What's that based on? And who is that for? Yeah. So how, when we mix all this together, I can certainly see AI taking all this factor, what you do, where you live what is you know the your exercise rhythm of, that you do every day do you walk a lot i mean i was watching on netflix the blue zone documentary which is really interesting about ultra centenary that are in this particular area they all happen to live in an island either in japan or sardinia yep. or in costa rica but there are like you know things that are recurring for what they do like walking a lot eating not too much meat uh, social relationship, like that's important. Be happy, waking up yep. in the morning, having a goal. So how is AI now? Do we have enough information from people or is still are they going to, okay, ideally it can work, but how do we collect this data? That's where I'm going. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's actually something that came up in a, in another meeting that I, um, uh, presented at, uh, which included someone from Google. And so we were talking about AI. I was serving on a panel or that. And uh, one of the mistaken uh, beliefs is that, uh, you know, we have to get everything perfect before we do, before we use tech. Um, someone in the audience mentioned, oh, you know, pressing a button and you get all your answers. And that's, that's not, we're not there yet, obviously. But, um, but one of the problems that 
uh, has faced technology and AI uh, is this whole idea of, you know, perfect is the enemy of good. So if you look at the history of AI, uh, someone someone actually in the meeting presented a, 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 a PowerPoint which showed the history of AI. And it showed that there was a really kind of a winter of AI that occurred you know, in the 70s and 80s where there wasn't as much advancement. There was a lot of advancement, you know, before the 70s and then it sort of dropped off. And, you know, he was mentioning that one of the challenges is that people uh, thought, okay, well, it's not there yet, therefore it shouldn't be used at all. Um, so similarly with, with uh, nutrition, for example, um, there is a lot of information out there. There's a lot of data out there, um, but we don't have data on everything. Does that, does that mean that we shouldn't use AI to help better personalized uh, diets? No, because the, the other option is to just have one size fits all. And just say, oh, everyone should have this diet. And you know, and that's what people pushing a diet will have you believe, right? They'll say, I don't know you, Marco, but you should be on the all cauliflower diet because I am selling it and I want you to purchase it and I want you to buy lots of cauliflower. So nothing but that. And of course, you're like, no, like something else, maybe some beets with the cauliflower. But anyway. Um, so you see a lot of that. So that alternative is not going to work, right? The, where you basically say, okay, everyone should be on the same diet. Um, but we have, we do have data. We do have data. We have studies in terms of how people do with different things. Uh, I am uh, part of something called the Nutrition for Persistent Health NIH. It's an NIH consortium to help better uh, come up with more precise nutritional guidelines and uh, dietary guidelines, nutritional recommendations, things like that. So it's all about kind of moving towards uh, where we want to be. Uh, I also use another analogy, a metaphor, where when people uh, people point out, well, you know, AI can't do this, or there's not enough data to do this, et cetera. It's equivalent to like you going to your toddler or infant and saying, what good are you? You can't drive. You know, get away, leave this place. We know that, you know, like a toddler, okay, yes, sure, they can't drive, they can't like buy a home or things like that. Uh, they can't give a speech or they can give a speech, but it'll be a terrible speech and their jokes will be all off. But um, but that doesn't mean that the toddler is useless. Uh, it means that the toddler is still growing and it's still developing. You can still learn from the toddler and this toddler can still do things. So we have to figure out with each sector where AI is, what it can and can't do, and then you know, continuously offering feedback to keep keep it growing. So I think we're at the stage where AI can help serve, identify better insights and synthesize this information uh, when it comes to personalized health, personal uh, persistent nutrition. But we also have to keep in mind the caveats. So. Yeah, and I think the caveats, and I, I want to talk about that and something that we kind of mentioned on the other episode, because I, I had this idea about talking about wearable, which I think it connects really well with this conversation. And last time we talked about keeping a, a baseline of controlling you know, our environment, the, the health, the, the pandemic happening, you see something happen, maybe you don't know exactly what it is, but you're like, hey, there is something off here. Mm -hmm. And you were talking about how certain countries do it better than other and how we maybe we should all do that. So I, I'm kind of like thinking that is on a global scale or a 
national scale. This is on a human body level, uh, your, yourself, right? You know, what works for you, but how do I know what is my normal, my baseline? But I, I'm guessing that the wearable technology can actually help with that. And, I'm, and again, technology now is not just about telling you how many steps you took, but, you know, I have a watch that it tells me if I have an abnormal temperature or night, uh, my heartbeat, I use it when I exercise, I know in which zone I am. And if something is off, I can be like, hey, wait, maybe, maybe it's better if I stop for a second. So measure calories. Is it something that we can actually tap into and still be comfortable about giving away our personal information? Because there is a trade-in that's, you know, yep. it's kind of like I want the AI to do everything for me, very personalized, but I don't want to share my personal thing. It's like having a personal assistant and you're saying, well, you know, figure out my favorite restaurant, but you don't know what my favorite food is or if I have allergies. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, the analogy or the metaphor or the analogy is is people, right? So you know, if you want a person, if you want to establish a relationship with a person, and if you want that person to enhance your life or help your life, then you're going to have to tell that person about yourself. Um, you know, you, you, you can't be in a situation where you have a significant other and you say, hey, you're supposed to know about me, but I'm not going to tell you about me, right? So, um, so yes, so there is certainly that trade-off um, and I think that's one of one of the challenges that's that is going to be in place going forward, um, because yes, a lot of the uh, a lot of things will are going to need this information or this data about you. But as with everything, things can be used for the proper purpose, and they can also be misused. Um, so this is where we really have to try to put in data safeguards or limitations or things like that. Not that those will be 100% foolproof, but it's stuff to think about. Um, the other thing is that I think we, you know, wearables is something that we can we can discuss later on or in, in the future. Uh, you know, these can play in well with AI because AI can help identify and other types of computational approaches can help identify what data is actually needed. Um, you know, what data is needed to really complete the picture. Right now, where we are with wearables and other things like that is in some cases, it just collects information to say, let, let's just collect all this information. And that, that's led to big data, right? Big data is where, uh, big data is when data is collected without a clear purpose. Um, many of you probably have heard the, um, you know, the, the three Vs, the five Vs, the 10 Vs, however, you know, definition of big data, right? We're talking about big data is high volume, high velocity, but low value, right? Meaning that there's a lot of useless information there and, and the actual useful information you have to kind of bring out. And that's generated by a lot of the, you know, the where in, in part by, you know, when, because you're measuring through wearables, you're measuring through browsing, all these different types of things. So you get all of this information. Um, so, there's the balance, right? If, if if the argument is like, we just have to collect all this data on you as opposed to this, this is the data we have to collect because it's important for this reason. That's a balance that's gonna have to be figured out um, because there's some data that like you're being 
that's being collected on you. And that's not going to help you, but it's going to help other people market to you or whatever and all those things like that. So at some point, um, people may want to figure out, well, what are the data do you really need to collect? And what data are you just collecting for the heck of it? Or what data are you collecting that's not going to benefit me, but is going to benefit your other activities? And I think that's something, those are conversations that haven't really been had enough. Yeah, unless you are in the cybersecurity industry and you had a lot of those conversations. Like, yep. <laughs> like I did. Uh, so th there are things in place, you know, the HIPAA for the, the medical history, healthcare, and, you know, they yep. need to follow certain regulation. But I think the real solution is, you know, they were saying in the, for the Web3 where you encrypt the data, you only decrypt it when you need it to share it with someone, and then you just put it back and it belongs to you. Uh, yeah. Unlike the big data that you were mentioning before, where for a very long time they say, well, let's collect the data. Maybe they're worth a lot of money when uh, when we figure out <laughs> what to do with that. And marketing is definitely one. But uh, what, what is your position as a, as a, you know, as a doctor, an MD, for people using um, wearable? Yeah, so I think it really depends on the details. I've, I've seen I've seen wearables range from uh, ones that are can be very misleading, right? So you, it's collecting information. It's not very accurate in the information that it's collecting. It's not collecting the right, you know, there's some wearables that are not collecting the right information, but it basically tries to convince mm. the wearer that, you know, this is everything um, and this will tell you everything. So you really actually have to look at the wearable itself. Now that that can range from those kind of situations to to situations where um, you know the wearable is, is has a reasonable amount of accuracy. It's collecting information that's scientifically valid, information that you know scientific studies show that is actually useful. Um, you know the the technology has been validated. So it's almost like saying um, you know. Are wearables good or bad? It's similar to saying, are clothes good or bad? Mm -hmm. right? You naturally would say, what are you talking about? Um, well, maybe that's maybe that's not a great example because it's probably a good idea to wear some kind of clothes when you're out. But um, but but you can imagine, like you know, there's 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 a whole range of, of like what clothes look like and and how useful they are and how appropriate they are. Or similar the quality. I mean, like, quality, do, yeah. do they advertise that keep you warm and then they don't? Yeah. So I would say when you when you get a wearable, you have to ask yourself, first of all, what data is it collecting and showing? What is the actual scientific use of that data? You know, is it because you'll see many times people make these claims and say, oh, you can get everything from body temperature or you can get everything from heart rate. And, and that, that, that's BS, right? You, you, th there's not a single measure where you can get everything. So you have to look at the claims and you have to look at what is the scientific evidence behind those claims. And then in addition to that, you have to look at what studies have been done to prove or evaluate the, the accuracy of the data that's been collected um, and, and presented. So I've seen people freak out where they're like, they'll get some kind of reading on their wearable and of course, there's that disclaimer on the package that says, oh, you know, this is not meant to be a medical instrument or medical device. And uh, when they say stuff like that, it is not a medical device. And then and they will say, oh, you should re really actually check with your doctor um, with everything. And that's true. 
But many times I see that disclaimer as an umbrella to essentially not have to report on what the actual accuracy of the device is. Hmm. So we need to be, everyone needs to be informed consumers. Uh, and that, that's one of the challenges. I don't see as much. Uh, so like if, you, if you're going to go buy bananas, you will naturally not just say, yeah, just give me any bananas. Yeah, sure. The completely brown ones are fine. You know, so you look at the bananas, you look at, you know, you, you take a, inspect them and you say, okay, I, I, this is the reason I'm going to buy these. Same thing with the herbals. You got to look at them carefully and figure out how useful it's actually going to be. Um, so, yeah, so I'm not one of those people who looks at wearables and just rolls my eyes and say, no, no wearables. They can be very helpful. Like any tech that can be helpful if, if used appropriately. Mm-hmm. But the eye roll comes when you look at some of the wearables out there and the claims that go beyond what they can right. actually do. Right. So I, I envision this world where, like everybody else, I don't like to go to the doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that simple. I don't. I don't know. Maybe somebody do like that, but you know, I'm not one of them. And and I'm thinking like, first of all, you waste a lot of time. You got to drive there. So, you know, a lot of doctor visit. If I can, I'll do it. Like I'm doing it with you. You know, like on a video call. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking like more and more. I I think uh, that we're gonna go into a. You go to the doctor now because you need to do the blood test. You you need to be maybe touched. I mean, you have a broken arm. Yeah, go to the ER. Don't don't do don't do it on a yeah. video call, right? But I feel like soon enough we will be able to run certain tests that normally now we do at the at the at the lab at home. I mean, I'm envisioning a little machine that pipe, pick your finger and get the blood and send the reading to some big cloud and uh, an AI analyze and gives you the, you know, your blood sugar, your potassium level, your cholesterol and all of that. I mean, is, do you think is that far from fetch? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, uh, yeah, certainly you don't want to, like you said, <laughs> you, don't, you want, don't want to just do a video when you broke your arm. You can say, doctor, I, I'm bleeding heavily. What should yeah. I do about this? Yeah. But um I think, uh, yeah, certainly it's going to evolve, and a lot of these tests can be done. Uh, certainly, you know, you go to lab places and you can get those tests done, and then, you know, you can get the data fairly quickly, and then more and more things will be able to be done at home. Now, the key thing, of course, is there has to be a reasonable amount of quality control, yeah. and people have to be able to follow instructions. Uh, so, but once those things have been figured out, then, um, then yes, I think you're going to move to more and more towards that. Now, there are certain things where there's a, at this point, there's only certain things you can get from a, like a, a, a prick, you know. Mm-hmm. No, uh, I, I brought that as an example, but it could be like yeah. measuring your breeding and I don't know, you put in a helmet and I mean, I'm, I'm like maybe a hundred years ahead in my head, but yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. no, but, uh, you, you put in a helmet and he's scan your retina, he sees your eyes and, you know, measure your prescription for your eyeglasses and all of that. Yep. Uh, I mean, I know a number of people and a number of uh, companies, researchers that have been working on non-invasive tests. So mm-hmm. tests that instead of um, uh, having to draw blood, you can you can check for things uh, without breaking the skin at all. That's going to be a big deal because once you do that, because, you know, when it comes to drawing blood, you probably don't want people drawing their own blood at this point, right? You know, sticking the needle in there and all those things like that. You're going to have problems. So... But like once you get tests that are more non-invasive, and the risk goes down, you don't then you don't need a laboratory so much 
to, to check some of those things. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, so the key is if you can get enough quality control enough, in other words, you, uh, uh, you know, they have a, they have a saying, it's sort of the, the, uh, for lack of a better word, sort of the, the dumb control, right? So when you have a product, you try to think about what is the silliest thing that someone can do with it. And if that's still okay, then that product can work, right? So I have a funny one. I don't know if you saw it, but I, I was crying, um, laughing. Uh, Mercedes uh, on the SUV put a, a, there is a new technology where it makes the car bounce very slowly but it helps you to get unstuck from mud and sand. You know, when you see this uh, rally in the desert that they push the car and now this start doing this on its own. Now imagine how many Mercedes owner SUV are actually going to go in the desert. Right. Yeah. So they there is this video to show how they design it, what the intention was and what actually how the consumer use it. So, they do that bouncing thing they used to do like in the car in the <laughs> in the hood here in LA in the 70s and 80s where the they make the car bounce where they are in line where they are parking in the parking lot of the mall they put this funny music underneath and it's the most hilarious thing mm-hmm. and i'm thinking like uh, maybe the next one is going to be some kind of flame that defrosts the ice and then people are just going to use it in a completely different way as well so like What's the intention and how is it going to be used? It's a pretty, it's a yep. pretty interesting thing. If we can go back to eating pods on TikTok, like that's, yeah. that's what was intended for. Yes, yes. Tide pods are not supposed to go into your mouth. Yes. So people so. can be really weird. So I don't know. I mean, now I'm kind of rethinking the trust of the individual in using uh, medical device at home. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that- I'm kind of walking back here. That's that's the main limitation because you know from a technology standpoint it can be done a lot of these things can be done so individuals can take you know uh, their own stool samples they can take uh, you know spit into a jar or something like they they can do these things now they may not do it accurately uh, and again like the blood test is a different story because people can do can that mess up that quite easily and and I think most people don't feel uncomfortable drawing their own blood. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, at some point as this technology gets better and better, then, then you'll be able to gather more and more of this information at home. And it makes sense to slowly transform how health and medicine are being administered. Um, it's funny. I, I remember, um, you know, there's some, some hardliners um, who believe things should always stay the same. And they'll always come up with an argument of why, oh, yep. um, you know, uh, the doctor's role shouldn't change and things like that. So, like, I was, I remember I was uh, in a discussion. This was like a um, decade and, and, or 15 minutes, 15 years ago. And someone was saying that, oh, the, you know, a doctor was saying, oh, the doctor is the one who always do all the vital signs, like check the temperature and all those things like that. I'm like, why? Um, and, uh, the person said, well, there's subtle things that you, you can figure out, et cetera, but you know, things evolve, right? So you don't want people to continue to do things, which, um, which is taking up their time, uh, and mental energy 
when instead you think, well, someone who's trained to do sort of other stuff, maybe it's better for them to, to take their time to do that, right? So, so this is where technology can really help. If, if you can shift a lot of these things to the home, then all that data will be readily available. So like medical professionals, then we'll have a lot more stuff already available and then they can step in when it's actually needed. Right. So, right. Yeah. right. And we go back on that, knowing what is your normal. Yep. Um, and and I can think about the many ways that people will abuse that by, you know, I, I'm just going to give blood from something else. Maybe I'll draw blood from my dog or yeah. <laughs> and send that. And, you know, who knows what else they'll swap. Yeah. Um, so your medical report comes back. Well, you know, your cholesterol levels are fine, but it looks like you have fleas. You know. <laughs> 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 it makes me think about Ratatouille, the Disney movie, yeah. where it's like, yeah, we did the DNA, it come out as rat. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> um, let's go back to the diet, and then we finish our conversation for today. So nutrition, I mean, not yeah. diet, but nutrition. So y- y- we are connected a few things here. They're all related, you know, as they say, you are what you eat, uh, maybe, probably. Yeah. Um, wh- why, in your opinion, nutrition... It's so hard. And, you know, we can go in big corporations and capitalism and all of that. But I think I want to look at it more from a psychological perspective. Like, why wouldn't I want to be healthy if I can? There are certain things I can't prevent. But there are others that, you know, I don't think anybody would deny the fact that if you're feeling better, you, you're happier. I don't know. Um, yep. Did you guys discuss, I mean, I'm assuming, about these factors? Yeah, we have to keep in mind that that food has very strong emotional, cultural, social, behavioral meaning, right? So uh, if you think about it, there's, there's, food has so much meaning. So when people, uh, you know, I can give you an example. When people go on a first date, usually food, many times food is involved, right? You have to pick the dinner location or lunch location, depending on what the first date is like. And, you know, people assess that both sides will assess based on what you're, you've, you've chosen and what you're eating and all like, even though that may not be accurate information, but it has a lot of meaning. And, you know, th- you grow, you grow up with certain types of food. Um, you, uh, uh, you know, it might be like Friday night, wing night, maybe your time where you get together with all your friends or, you know, or you've got to have cake, right? Or something, you know, all these different types of things. So it has extremely important social, cultural, behavioral meaning. And so when people eat things, they don't necessarily always just say, you know, how is this going to affect my health? People feel good if they eat certain things. They they think of certain things. They, they bond over certain things. They bond over drinks, too. And those things like that. So that's why it gets more challenging because you can tell someone that, oh, you should just eat this. But then that person say, well, I derive a certain set of happiness or I derive my social connections out of this. Or what can I do when I go out with my friends? They all want to eat this. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's why it's, it's very complex. Uh, and and th- that also factors into advertising too. So when people advertise food, look at how people are advertising food. You know, you show, see a commercial and they say, every, you know, you don't see one person sitting in a closet eating something, right? In, a, in, a, in an advertisement, they show that this is associated with happiness. This is associated with friends. 
look, everyone's happy. If you eat this, you will be happy. So, um, so it's like that. So it does make things more complex. So ultimately, you have to come up with diets. A big part of appropriate diet or appropriate nutritional recommendations is sustainability. Can the person actually sustain this um, from a day-to-day standpoint? Mm-hmm. So you've got to design things appropriately. Otherwise, things would have no taste, right? Mm-hmm. We'd have to say, uh, hey, Marco, here's your diet. None of these have taste, but they have the right nutrients. So you're all set, right? The, the, old, the old school pill that you give to the astronauts and say, here's yeah. your meal. Done. Exactly. The Jetson. <laughs> Heck, you know, it's not even just taste, right? People talk about presentation. Yep. So if, if I offered you the same, absolutely the same diet, same nutrients, the same taste, and all these things like that, well, starting off, and I said, hey, Marco, here's here's a here's a presentation. And you've got the garnishes, and you've got all these things like that. Uh, here's where I put it all in a blender. And, <laughs> and, you know, hey, it's from a Michelin five-star restaurant, but it's in a blender. You have it. And, of course, you'd be like, no. You have that's to not- drink it. Yeah. <laughs> and it always, we also have to keep in mind, too, like when something's like in blended liquid form, it's not the same as taking solids, right? So if you eat something in a solid form, yeah. you might have, like, more benefit when it comes to fiber and, you know, the, the actual shape and size of those yeah. things. So it's quite complex. Yeah. You know, I, I want to end that with, which I said, I actually suggest to people to watch this, uh, the blue zone. It's, I don't remember the guy that made it, but he's been studying uh, aging and, and nutrition for a very long time. He's a great journalist, he's entertaining and, and he has some great conclusion. And I think it, you kind of learn about different culture and almost like the way, things where like you know one of the island in greece is one of the smaller smallest island that for the longest time didn't even have a commercial port so the influence that they had from tourism and from commercialization of uh, food that is prepackaged and all of that is almost unexistent i mean they consume literally what the island give them and it's a dry island it's it's in you know it's a hot and but they make their own wine which is full of mineral because it's it comes from a volcanic terrain and they actually made it inside vase that are made of stone so they get the mineral from this i mean i'm telling you this because it's it's full of this information and i think once you look at that either you want to leave 110 or 100 or just a healthier life if you can. I think I think there's a lot of little pieces and beats to to get. And I'm connecting it to how you started. Yeah. Health and nutrition, it's not just about what you eat, but also the way you grew up, your culture, your social interaction that you just said with other people. And it it's complicated. Yep. No, I actually had to opportunity. This was what back I think back in 2014 or 2015, I um uh, spoke at the same uh, uh, meeting that that Dan, who who um, who authored the Blue Zone, spoke at. So we oh, had okay. to so, yeah, you know. chat about this. Cool. Um, and so, yeah, it's all those things you mentioned, but it's also the social fabric too, like yep. these places which which um, you know where I did like Okinawa and uh, some of these other locations. Um, there's a there's a very strong social fabric where people kind of take care of each other, yep. um, and um, and they feel very connected. So feeling like you're connected with with something bigger than yourself is really important when it comes to health. Yep. Um, so yeah, all these external factors actually matter quite significantly. Um, that's again, that's why there's not not a magical diet. Like the context actually matters. 
Um, so you can, you can take this diet, magical diet, all that you want, but like, it's, you know, the diet composition may be different. And also like, if you, if you're like sitting there in the middle of the woods with no one else around you, it's going to have a different effect versus if you're around people who, you know, actually take care of you. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Very complex complexity. We always end up there and how people hope that, as you said before, there is, you know, just give me a button. Just give me the easy button, right? The easy pill or the easy button or the, the solution to everything yep. so that I don't have to. I don't have to actually make effort <laughs> to make it happen. I don't want to run every day, but I want to be in perfect shape. Yep. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Our, well, our society many times kind of and individual biases too. Like they, they tend to lean towards, yeah, give me the simple answer. Simple answer, simple answer, simple answer. And, you know, you have to appreciate the complexity. Now, that doesn't mean the answer will be complicated or complex, but at least you have to really take into account these different things. Yep, absolutely. And advertising is, I agree, is definitely not helping. So you don't want to smoke the, the cigarettes that are smoked by the doctor, like they used to tell us in the 60s. <laughs> not that I was there in the 60s, but I've seen those ads. Uh -huh. Anyway, what I, what I am advertising is that if you enjoy this conversation, dear listener or viewer, you go back because we already had, uh, I think, three uh, four of these and uh, we always cover something different i think we're getting better and better in our conversations at least that's what i tell myself and uh and no matter what i enjoy it so i hope people enjoy it i always uh, have fun chatting and, and it makes me think about new episode to to do in the future because there's so much to talk about healthcare technology and got humans that the carbon factor <laughs> that walks into the bar with the silicone and the cell. So Bruce, it was great to hang out with you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Marco. And I think we're like, um, hopefully like an AI algorithm, things get better each time. So we're learning. So yeah, once again, greetings from, or um, I guess salutations from Oregon. Uh, and always, always great to get a chance to chat. Yep. Same here. All right, everybody stay tuned, subscribe, and uh, we'll meet again with Bruce uh, next month. So look forward to that. At least I, I know I will. Take care. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io.
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Society, hosted by Marco Cipelli. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and share the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network with your friends, family, and colleagues. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.